Well, there's a lot that's been going on. We missed a recording episode because I was in Poland. Yeah. But more importantly, yesterday, uh, was it yesterday? It was someday this week. I, I was thinking, and I, I sort of looked at myself, and I was like, aside from one piece of clothing, I, I am totally outfitted by Costco right now. And I was thinking, like, my, my journey to uh, really just reap that middle part of Costco has, has finally come to an apex. Well, you're going to be excited, Cote. Uh, uh-huh. the, the Costco uh, FAQ? says that your Costco card works uh, in any Costco worldwide. And um, probably, probably sometime next week, I will be visiting costco.com.au. Yeah. <laughs> do they actually have physical stores in Australia? They do. And, and it's like wow. three blocks from the Ikea where I'm buying our mattresses from. <laughs> no, buy the mattress oh, at Costco. Nice. Costco has excellent mattresses. I've oh, shots fired. Oh, man, now I have more things to research? No, no, you don't. You just walk into Costco. It's in a box. No, 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 no. no. Do they deliver? Does Costco deliver? Probably not. That's not what Costco is. Again, I think we know Costco. It's about (laughs) a big card, (laughs) putting stuff in it and loading into your car. I don't think there's any uh, we deliver. Yeah, they they don't even provide like uh, that that twine like Ikea does. Costco is just like... (laughs) We could provide twine, but we're going to have to charge for it. Harry, I wish yeah, you, you best buy a mile, Cos- a mile of it. <laughs> does Costco Australia have bags? Because like Costco America, right? You just get the, the boxes they have laying around. You know, so. this is going to be a hard-hitting uh, journalistic report next next recording. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only uh, thing we need to know about Australia. Does the Costco in Australia have bags? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this is like one of my, one of my favorite lines from a, uh, a David Sedaris story. Where, where he was, he's talking about the, the, the Parisian subway and he looks over, there's some American tourists. Some, they, they were frat boys before we had that term. And one of them was like, man, I really could use a Sonic burger right now. I think, I think that's, that's all us Americans need to know. If we have the comforts of home like Sonic burgers, Costco, and ironically, Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as long as they have Ikea meatballs, my kids will be happy. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as my son has attested, uh, Ikea has the best uh, barbecue ribs in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, from the mouths of babes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's what we should start. Every, every time someone comes to Austin, they inevitably ask about barbecue, and they're like, have you been to Franklin's? And you know, in your head, you're like, yes, I've fucking been to Franklin's. I don't know who, no Austinite goes there anymore because it's impossible to like, anyways. And then of course you're like, oh yes, I went there. It's great. But it's just, now we should just start saying like, you should basically just go to Ikea for your ribs. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of parking, uh, pick up some furniture, find their plant of the week. You'll be fine. They've got good coffee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You sign up for the family card, you get free coffee. Yeah. You might even be able to smuggle the cup out with you if you're, uh, you know, just a little out of it. Yep. So, <laughs> a big speaking, week ahead. Yeah. Speaking of Sweden, I was in Poland last week, almost all week. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I also got to ride on the, uh, the direct Austin to London flight. Always, a always one. a pleasure. You know, their seats are a little narrow, but, but I think uh, I can plug myself into them. They're, they're nice. Is it, isn't and, there uh, a yeah, Frankfurt flight now? Uh, I don't know. Like booking, I had a whole a whole odyssey, if you will, in in the uh, in in the 
what would you i mean does odyssey have any other uh meaning other than tedious lengthy journey that could have been shorter if you uh, it means honda minivan oh that's true <laughs> interesting choice for the name of a minivan <laughs> anyhow no one really reads the odyssey they just uh know the basic story but yeah i i uh did I ever tell this story on this podcast? It's a, it's a thrilling one. So I had, I had booked some, some sweet flights to Warsaw and flying out of Krakow. And then I got this mysterious email from Concur. I don't know if you've ever gotten this email from the Concur Amex Travel Bureau thing. But it basically, it's very lengthy. And in all caps, it says, you should call us. <laughs> <laughs> Never get it. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, and, 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 yeah it's, it, and it's also confusing as my coworker Bridget likes to complain about, along with myself, rightly, because you also get these emails from Amex and Concur that say, in all caps, your flight details have changed. And, and you, you look at it and you read it, and it just, it's just like because you've gotten an upgrade or a seat assignment. Like, and so you get, uh, what do they call that in the monodrama crowd? Alert fatigue? Like, <laughs> it's like you see these emails and you don't pay attention to them. So I called them up. And apparently, uh, despite the lack of computers and manual process, I had been allowed to book a flight that no longer existed. <laughs> so I don't, we'll take your money, but you can't get on the plane. Absolutely not. I don't really know what was up with that. And then so I sort of like in a bit of quickness while I was at a conference, booked a flight. And I thought I was flying out of Krakow to go home, but I was actually flying out of Warsaw. So it was, uh, it was a bit of a weird flight that I ended up having to take a train and everything. But it turned out fine. So anyways, Poland's nice. It's, it's, it's uh, first of all, to be American about it, it's super cheap. Like everything basically costs like a quarter. Like it's, it's I was looking at my expense reports and there's a few meals that I, grocery store meals that I had that were like less than a dollar. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Like I got a whole little like tub of beets that were lightly seasoned with onions when I held the Google Translate thing up to it, and uh, and some some like prosciutto and some cheese. And it was like a dollar. It was awesome. So uh, yeah, it's it's a nice country, and it's like it's like being there is like eerily like being in the Midwest. Like you walk around, and I keep thinking I'm in like Chicago or like Minnesota or something, and then I hear people speaking Polish, and I'm reminded that I'm in a, in a whole other country. But I would highly recommend Poland. It's great. Cool. What were you there for? Were you DevOps? I was, I was I was in Warsaw for a meetup, and then uh, and then I and then I went to uh, Krakow for DevOps, not DevOps. Dev, two X's what, is, in you. What, what does that mean? I think DevOps is. Someone was explaining it to me. It's it's a European conference that used. It's, it's an amalgamation of a bunch of old Java conferences, basically, and they all kind of decided to rebrand themselves DevOps. So they have them in like Antwerp. I once, I once went to speak at that one with John Willis and I pissed off the conference organizers because I, uh, I booked vacation travel around it too. I don't know why they got pissed off, but I thought I would never be able to work with the DevOps people again. And uh, they have them in Antwerp, Paris, London. They're going to have one in the US now next year. I don't know. It's a bunch of Java people mostly. What's the tech? I've always, you know, a lot of people have uh, remote offices in Poland, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know offshore. Like what's the tech? Yeah, there's a ton. Right What's, yeah, uh, like, like, like I, all these really smart people. I, I, you know, I, I don't know a, a better way to phrase this because I don't mean it to sound, uh, I keep using this word derisive, but I don't mean it to sound negative, but it sounds like Poland is one of the top back office support places for like Fortune 500 companies or Global 2000 if you don't want to be all, you know, 
Yankee. Uh, but uh, yeah, like like everyone had like big offices there, like city and places like that. And of course, there's a lot of system integrators, and uh, there's a few. You know, I don't. I didn't really come across any uh, like software organizations. We have like, I think three pivotal people live in Poland. Mm-hmm. We have like a sales engineer, and I think he mostly goes and works in Germany. And then uh, we've got a couple of like Spring developers or something like that. But yeah, there's a lot of computers going on. Nice. And a- accor- according to what I heard, of all the Eastern European countries, and by heard I mean read in Wikipedia, I think Poland is the only one that has consistent like GDP growth. So it's it's the most prosperous one in there. Stable. What about yeah. I thought Estonia I, was like you know. Oh, maybe I I don't know. Who, who knows about Wikipedia? But I, I tried to ask one of my Uber drivers why, and he didn't have a complex economic analysis to explain it. <laughs> it sounded, it sounded like so, somehow, somehow a bunch of money has been injected into the system. Just Were you, hey, was this the week that uh, bre- uh, the Brexit thing went on? Yeah, did, yeah. So I, did I was, anybody I was in Poland like, actually care, or were they just like, whatever? No, I mean, I was around a bunch of hardcore nerds, so I'm sure they were just like, didn't care at all but i i was flying through heathrow like the day afterwards like, uh, <laughs> was I, was, I was i was i was in the uh uh the uh the terminal five let's see west side british airways lounge and they had the live the live telecast of their uh that guy cameron resigning so there were a bunch of people staring at it but no it, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like some scene out of like some 80s movie where a bunch of people, <laughs> children like, men <laughs> we're, yeah we're like throwing peanuts down on the ground and you know like complaining and calling up their brokers or anything it was, it was like take my baby to america <laughs> yeah like children of men <laughs> they're collecting all the fine art and putting it in a, in a room somewhere more yeah. yeah. like, like quick uh heathrow i've you know, there's that lounge in Terminal 5, right? I think the one you're talking about. You can get in if you're like platinum or whatever. But then there's this sure. other lounge. I don't know if you got into this one. This no, no, no. I'm not high like enough. It's like executive platinum. And it's like, it has, nope. it's called the gallery. He got us into it. And it's like a whole nother level. Yeah. Crazy, insane service and wine and foods and so so if you're ever traveling with someone just by accident who has this great status and and uh you just know there's two lounges and there's like even there must be probably even even another exclusive one somewhere else maybe there's another level but yeah i recommend finding a way into it i i think i don't know if it's called i think gallery is the name of the usual one but but you could be right We, we could look this up but yeah there's uh there's, that's basically the third floor. I get off on the, off on the second floor. I, yes. I think if I was executive platinum traveling internationally, I could get in there. But I just, I no, I'm not executive platinum. The other day, my son Cormac, uh, this is a good reason not to be executive platinum. He, uh, I heard that he had come up with a business so that I had, I didn't have to work so much, and and which is which is adorable, right? And and a little a little bittersweet, but his business. And I need to talk to him about margins and uh, supply and demand. His business was um, he had a bucket and he t- took a thing and he would scoop up some of our decomposed gravel and sift out the sand and then he was going to sell the sand. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think we need to do a little uh, value stream mapping, maybe a little lean analysis and figure mm-hmm. out if this is a good approach. Get some but, but I, I, like, I like his entrepreneurialness. He identified a problem, worked with what he had, and has come up with a solution 
Well, on that same note, I've been getting some career, career advice from my son, who is uh, five uh-huh. years old. And he is now like fully comprehending the concept of summer. And Ooh. his mom works in education, and so she's off for the summer. And he is just baffled that I don't get off for the summer. And he's been asking me, yeah. so like, why don't you get off for the summer? And I was explaining to him I had a different type of job. And his solution was like, you should go work in a school is what he was explaining to me. And I was like, well, okay. So, uh, but it is, it is interesting to see like, what you don't get to like, just go on the summer. It's, it is. Uh, and then he also, a friend of mine just recently changed jobs. I was telling, I told him that, Hey, this person's leaving. And he said, well, he should work at Chick-fil-A. His daughter would really like that. So uh, he's, you know, again, career advice from the five-year-old crowd, <laughs> business models. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely out of the box thinking, right? Lateral yeah. thinking going on there. Yeah. My kid's telling my wife, you should open a restaurant. And I was like, do you like seeing your mother? <laughs> I, I like the Chick-fil-A option. You get yeah. Sunday off at least. <laughs> and, and the ice cream, the ice cream's the big, you know, turn the toy in, get the ice cream. Now, now, before we, we shift to the nominal topic of this podcast, the tech world, I have one more question since you brought up Chick-fil-A. We, uh, as a family, really never frequent Chick-fil-A. So, but I know it's sort of like a big deal amongst kids. Like, kids love Chick-fil-A. But so what, what's the deal? Well, first you have to get over. There's this moral you know, thing you have to get over, right? It's like, yeah. About killing chickens or making our waffle fries? No, they're not very uh, supportive, I guess, of like... uh, Oh, sure. Never mind that. Whatever. No, I'm just saying. But the thing about it is like it's super family friendly, right? So you go in there and they have like the playscape and then um, Uh, if you kids meal, right, the kids get like a toy, but they can decide. There's this choice for the kid. They can take the toy back and get an ice cream cone or they can keep the toy for free or they the toy so there's always this kind of like process you go through first what are you that's straight out of saint augustine what are you gonna get right then they go play and then they you know kind of eat and then my son you know then there's this thing and then i'll be like what is the toy right and then Mm -hmm. it'll be like an analysis of the toy versus do you want the ice cream that's great i mean i've I've been yeah i've been packing my house and and i probably have thrown away you know this, so this is toys from Sonic and you know. And then when when your son or your your child or whatever, and they get old enough, and yeah, I guess whatever, I'll just five works. Then now they're allowed, or at least I allow them, like they can just take the toy up to themselves, right? And then they give it to the person, and then he kind of likes to do some haggling. He's like, he'll just ask for like, can I get the big ice cream cone? Of course, he can never eat all of this ice cream. I don't know why he always can do. So he feels like he usually comes back. He's like, I asked for the big one. He gave it to me, right? So he comes back and then he eats like half of it and he goes huh. play and goes play again. So, so it's great, you know. I mean, it's a good place. I always think like you know, a great business model would just be uh, Rainbow Chicken, right? Would be exactly <laughs> like Chick Fil A, hundred percent, and open on Sunday, and anyone is welcome to come and work of any yeah. you know, religious yeah. or yeah. cultural yeah. thing. And they'll get a little bit of pride in your box. People ask you about like, what is rainbow chicken? Be like, it's exactly like Chick-fil-A. Except it's open Sunday. So (laughs) it's uh, it's great. (laughs) So, and of course, all the food is bad for you. You probably shouldn't eat it, but they have some healthy options. That's a business model right there. Yeah. Yeah. Left, let's, what what would it be? Left leaning uh, fast food. uh, Rainbow chicken. A cow and like a, like a, uh, you know, multicolored cow thing going. Yeah. That'd be great. Huh. Someone make that happen. Take that idea and run with it, please. 
Yeah, I see. I, I like that. I, li- I like I like the trading thing. That's that's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm. Well, at least now we know what Brandon can do. <laughs> right, that's what I would run at the trading desk. Huh. So, so also, uh, we missed this last week. There was DockerCon last week, yeah. And I think the Red Hat Summit was this week. Have you guys been following the news coming out of there? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. Uh, I, I have been looking forward to Matt Ray, Matt Ray explaining the, uh, the, the DockerCon announcements. I, there's, there's Swarm, right? And, uh, and then there's, it sounds like from what I've read in, in, in the, uh, the journalism surrounding it, it sounds like they have like a full-blown uh, platform thing that can manage multiple stuffs and, uh, uh, and whatever. Container service, the enterprise container service or whatever they're calling it. Um, so, so, there, the the swarm announcements uh, about um, two weeks before DockerCon, they they uh, uh, released SwarmKit as a separate standalone project. Um, so you could do uh, container orchestration um, outside of of uh, containers. I, I think the the goal is you know to move into the virtual machines uh, and managing other stuff. Um, so they they kind of detached it out of out of uh, Docker Swarm, so the standalone library could be used for alternate stuff. Um, and then, like the one-two punch was, um, yeah, we separated it out. And then at DockerCon, they announced, but we're shipping it with the Docker machine. Um, so now there's kind of uh, the Docker the uh, Docker now comes with Swarm. Um, so and, and what does Swarm do again? So S- Swarm is their their uh, container orchestration tool. So their okay. version of of Kubernetes, of Mesosphere, of Nomad, kind of you know those are the four players. And you know it, usually they and you know Kubernetes and, and Mesos uh, are kind of the big the big players. And, and Docker Swarm is uh, obviously the uh, well financed player. And and because they're you know it comes with Docker. Uh, they'll probably get a lot of traction um, right. as as they build that up. As, as so, they make so, it, you know. So not to reprise, I mean, a, a full two three episodes ago, I just spent a long. We spent a long time on Mesosphere. It was yeah. like get get Cote uh, the bumpkin educated up on this stuff. But basic to summarize, orchestration is I build up my little in this. I build up my little Docker container. I have a cloud which is composed mm-hmm. of multiple compute units. Never mind what they are. You shouldn't worry about that. These are not the droids your interest servers you're you're looking for. And I need to place these running containers on on the cloud, and then also make sure as they as they die or unhealthy that I call them and every, so everything's up and running fine. Mm-hmm. That's basically what. And does it coordinate like the networking being hooked up and configuration of other stuff? There well, you go. It, it, it you know you say hey you're running on this network and then it handles. Uh, like the the VP the, the VPCs and and you know uh, natting all those machines together. So when you say like, oh, I've got this you know this one app over here and it's running on thirty containers, it puts them in their own little network space, so they know about each other. But you've got yeah. security against the next application over that it's managing, unless you've explicitly said you know these have permission to talk to each other. Um, right. And so it it, it you know, the the orchestration layer handles the Compute network and storage isolation and scheduling across all of your infrastructure. And and then what does the machine thing do? The the machine is is like the the, the virtual host. Okay. So it's the host that runs on a machine. 
And yeah. so now, you know, they, they, so you've got, you know, Docker, Docker the container, Docker the machine uh-huh. that runs a bunch of, you know, it's, it's like your, uh, your ESX, you know, yeah. where yeah. It's, it's on one machine and it runs all the containers on it. And now that machine is aware of the multi node um, orchestration. So that's data center operating system. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's that's Mesos's uh, or Mesosphere's. Um, now, now, back in the day, back in the day, which is to say, when we were younger, uh, I think that's what that phrase means. Uh, there was always complaining about uh, we've got multiple different ways to do this in the open source world. So why are you duplicating doing stuff? This is very. I even saw this in in uh, in Poland at, at the Java thing. This complaint. Yep. Do people complain about that in the orchestration space? Are they like, sure. why do we have so many options? Why don't we just have one? Yeah, well, so... Um, or is that is that sentiment passed and no one cares anymore? Well, people complain, but people also, yeah. you know, they, they like, they acknowledge that competition is good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you don't have any competition, you're either doing the wrong thing <laughs> or, right. or um, you know, you're either doing the wrong thing... Or the justice department comes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so in, in the, you know, in the uh, container orchestration space, it's, it's, you know, essentially, you know, Kubernetes, Swarm and, and Mesosphere um, fighting it out. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. And then, and, and, you know, HashiCorp's Nomad is, is interesting and out there and um, has some, some good use cases too. So uh, I don't know, you know, they all have their pros and cons. Um, and from from you know my standpoint, I'm going to work with whoever ha- the customers. <laughs> so Matt, Ray, what about the whole? You know, one of the things that makes this confusing. I think you said on our one of our previous episodes is like, you know, Kubernetes can run on Mesosphere, right? Yeah, and yeah. Then, like there's like there's if there's anything that's kind of confusing here is like the layers of abstraction haven't kind of been decided on, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, well, I, I'm just kind of picking the flavor I want you. Because now in the case of the, the Docker announcements, is it the same kind of thing? Well, actually, this can run on Mesosphere. Or yeah, they're, like, they're I mean, starting, how does that work? Yeah, they're, they're starting to, to separate themselves. So, so Kubernetes on Mesosphere was um, my understanding from you know, talking to people kind of on both sides is it was a community thing that neither company particularly embraced um you know google nor mesosphere were like oh this is going to be the thing i think it was it was you know open source people were like hey this 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 fits over here and they were like it it sure does but you know we have business uh, that does not align with our business interests and so i think the kubernetes on mesosphere is not loved and so it's not really a direction. Yeah, if you're not loved by a day job, you don't get supported. And, Got it. You know, um, as as a uh, to 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 interrupt you as I characteristically do as as a professional veteran product manager, Brandon. As you've been looking over this situation, I want to run a theory past you about um, what's happening in this infrastructure, trying to replicate the cloud with software thing. Now, aside, of course, from my company, which does things wonderfully, and it never has any problem that I ever complain about, to make that clear. Of course. My theory is that uh, over the past five years, the product managers, if they exist in this space at all, which is a sub-theory, have not really been engaged or allowed to engage with the developers let alone the business people that the product managers will be talking with. Because it seems like every advancement in this area, as we try to decode so often on this podcast, 
sort of has no business thing behind it. Matt Ray just kind of alluded to. There's no like, it's just like from an engineering standpoint, it always makes sense. It's basically just like, dude, check out this Ollie I can do on the skateboard. Right. Like, which is, I mean, there's no problem with engineers being that way. That's the way that we grow them in the vats. They're supposed to do them awesome, astonishing thing possible. And the yes. product manager is almost like, you know, whatever that agent Smith is. I don't know the metaphor because I never really got into the matrix, but they're like the regulator on, on like developers doing awesome stuff so that they can buy them fancy new skateboards and everything. But it occurs, it seems to me that if we look at over the past three years or so, I know I said five earlier, like the whole like figuring out the product trajectory in this space is really weird. Like, like, so I don't know. Anyways, but, but like, do you see, can you reverse engineer some long-term product strategy out of all this stuff? I definitely can. This is, uh, I guess I would go this way. I think a good analogy here would be to look at consumer startups and then we'll go back right, and say, start with like, what, why do most companies die or ideas die? They die in obscurity. That's the reason most things die. Like these ideas never get traction. Nobody cares, whatever, even if they were a great problem. So what everybody is looking for in business is an idea that gets tremendous traction. Right. And on the consumer side, right, this is what we make fun of on our consumer is like Instagram. Like, how's it going to make money? But the thing that Instagram and Facebook and all these guys initially came to was like, wow, they're getting tremendous amount of users, right? Like kinds of growth rates that nobody has ever seen. And that's what starts to attract the business. And the truth right. is there's all these books written about how you do that, but nobody knows how this happens. Like why does Instagram hit and these other things don't? But all we do know is like when it happens, we better get involved. Right? Right, and then right. people start to say like, hey, they cracked the first problem of adoption. Now we've got to go through and figure out how we're going to make money on it. And like, so you take a Facebook and, um, and you know, it, listen to the recommendations. I'll give you a book that kind of outlines what happened there. But like they got really, really big and then they did figure out, they cracked the code of advertising. Google, same thing. Got really big. All these users figured out Google Ads. So what's happening, I think, in the container space is Docker sort of unleashed, you know, the container adoption like we've just never seen. Like it sort of came out of nowhere. I don't think anybody necessarily predicted it would be this big. Even the guys that started it started what in Y Combinator and had there was a totally different idea, right? And then they hit on this thing. So now what you're seeing is okay, they've taken all the money, right? So now they have to start screwing over their friends. Business models need to be made. Product managers are being hired. Salespeople are being hired. And it's like, okay, like just like the advertising models. It's like, should we give it away for free? Should we do advertising? Should we do a subscription? Now everyone is trying to figure that out. And I think that's where you're starting to see this business there get in there. And because it's not clear, you're seeing lots of different strategies being tried, right? So mm. I think, but the most important part of that is like the adoption side has kind of been, you know, essentially solved. Like no one really, I don't think anyone is like containers aren't going to make it. I, you know, it feels like everyone believes that the question just becomes now, what is the most viable business model for the containers to live on at? And you can go as far as like you know, subscription services, you know, some kind of licensed product or even potentially, right that this never realizes the, the kind of um, direct revenue that we want in a big company, whether that be a Google, 
you know, or some other large company acquires it and kind of uses that to like really, you know, help sell other products. And, you know, the guys at Docker definitely don't want that, right? If that's the outcome from them, they're not going to make the money. They have to fire their friends, be lots of bad, you know, no books will be written. But if they do find the subscription service or the way to license this, they'll be the next VMware. They'll write all the business novels. Um, we'll create all these great stories about how they were geniuses. Um, right. you know, all that will happen for them. So like, we're actually seeing it happen. And it's like, you know, as we talk about it, like even we don't really know, but I definitely think the next thing that needs to happen here, the establishment of the category of container orchestration. Right, the oh, yeah. magic quadrant is coming, and yeah. then they're going to start to say, "This is what it means to be container or orchestration." But nobody really knows. And once that category has been determined, you're going to start to see the licensed products, and then it will be up to do the developers accept some type of licensed product to be bought inside the company, or do they demand it to be free and open source forever? All right. Well, that's fair. It's sort of like uh, accident-driven intentionality, basically. Like, like you're you're always trying to create as many like accidental successes as possible. And then once it hits, you, you very quickly like grab onto it. Well, and, yeah. Uh, and, and, I, I, and, and, then, and then the other part is like, as I think the old folks would call it, your market making, right? Like you're creating the framing or a category uh, that by its nature excludes other things and allows everyone on the buy side and sell side to focus on on uh, a specific thing. Yeah, but Which, always and, remember that. And then you have more classic product management. Yeah, and then you have your friends and enemies. Though. But like, you know, take, you know, really these three factions, right? Docker, mm -hmm. Kubernetes, and uh, Mesosphere. Like, really, like, they would never probably say this. Really, the best thing that could happen for them all, though, is for Gardner or someone to come out and like really define the category for them. That yeah. would benefit three of them, you know, immensely, right? Now they'll have to compete with who's number one, but even number two and number three probably have good outcomes if it becomes a category and there's a lot of money starts to go into it. Um, and of course, like I'm like they take the monitoring side though, you know, Nagios, which we kind of make fun of, still like the most widely used monitoring system in the world, and you know, and and like monitoring's never really gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, it, you know it got straightened out. There's still a lot of these free tools and that could happen here. But like VMware, the opposite, right? VMware, I don't know. I mean, probably, you know, they own virtualization for so long and such a massive market gap, right? You know, they're, they're like the gem that everyone wants to recreate. Yeah, I, I, I guess in contrast, you know, I don't know the early history of VMware. That would be an interesting thing to, uh, to learn how that spread out, right? Like, like, as I seem to recall, it like started with like desktop virtualization and then mm -hmm. spread to server. There's, there's some people who like know what happened there, but you know, it, it'd be interesting to test out the theory of uh, you just sort of uh, have to come up with something that has a critical mass of adoption and then figure out how to make money off of it later. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that the problem for, for the container uh, ecosystem is, is people do know the VMware history. People know mm. that this is coming, and it's not going to catch anyone unaware this time. And all the big incumbents are ready for it. Um, all the all the people who can exploit it without uh, being the direct commercial vendor are ready. You know, the, your Amazons and and uh, Googles are are ready for you know that next generation thing to co-opt it uh, and make right. more money off of somebody else's open source business. Um, right, we're we're always we're always defending against last year's backstabbing. I think other versions of that are like you know you can you can trace out in all the rubble the uh, the the backstabbing protection from the Unix market and from Microsoft, where people would just like not do stuff with Microsoft because you know they've been stabbed too many times. 
But I do think the VMware is, I mean, I think those points are excellent. I think it's a good, as I understand the history, right, it was sort of the virtualization kind of comes out of the quote garage, but really adopted by developers just trying to test all these different things, dev test, right? And it was very cheap, kind of free, but that's where they got tremendous adoption because if you remember at the time, it was kind of hard. It wasn't cloud. You couldn't just throw up all these different servers. And then the point that the VMware guys had that I think was great for them was they could go to the CFO and say, hey, I can reduce your capital expenditures. You don't have right. to buy as many servers. You just have to buy this expensive licenses. And you know, to Matt Ray's point, right? Like everyone knows that, but it's a totally different situation. Like spinning up a bunch of servers in the cloud a lot cheaper a lot easier than it once was. So you don't have like the CFO is kind of like, I'm already like not really paying that much. If anything, I don't want to pay as much for VMware. In fact, maybe we don't have to pay anything for any of this. Right. And that would be kind of like the no money scenario or the very low valuation, you know, Docker scenario. Wonderful. Well, <laughs> you know, this is a good chance for the mid roll that I had planned which is uh, a little bit further up the stack. We've got a conference here at Pivotal called Spring One Platform, perhaps the most artfully named conference you have ever encountered. <laughs> very, very strange name, but whatever. And uh, it's August 1st to 4th, and you should come check it out. We got all your Java Spring stuff. We'll talk about Cloud Foundry. And then we got a, we, there's a whole track that's just like uh, the management people talking about how they've transformed their organization and done stuff. And I, I did a little QA with uh, someone I do another podcast with, Matt Curry. I'll put a link to it, just going over his talk and how they've been uh, doing things over at Allstate. But I'll put a link to it. You can go to springplatform.io and check it out. And if you use the code pivotal-cote-300, because we like hyphens, not the M dash, the hyphen, then uh, you can get $300 off your registration. But you should come check it out. It'll be fun. And it's at the ARIA, which, uh, you know, I've never been there. It's new. So you won't, you won't get like a fax machine in your room or, uh, you know, see all the usual, you know, lions and, and old pictures of Carrot Top as you're walking around, I hope. All right. Yeah. You guys have anything you want to uh, announce or hustle? <laughs> well, ChefConf is uh, coming to Austin. Um, when is be, that, Matt Ray? It's July 11th through the 13th. Uh, oh. Scant uh, 11 days away. And uh, it's close to selling out. So uh, if you're interested you should uh hop on board um i think i've heard rumblings that there may be an expo only pass uh if you're in Austin, you gotta get me a pass matt ray <laughs> i still don't have one well you, you should take mine um okay but, uh, i'll be matt ray yeah all you have to do is give a talk um <laughs> but, I'll, be, I'll be like ooh, 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 cloud configure ooh, ooh, ooh. i don't know what that is but that's pretty much me in a nutshell <laughs> um but i i sadly i won't be there um yeah but, uh, I'll talk about kangaroos. <laughs> that's that's my job. Uh, I did submit a talk to uh, a, uh, a New Zealand conference this week. It was kind of awesome. Mm. Well, you know, you know, uh, other than all the awesome technology overviews, what I remember about ChefConf's is they have an excellent selection of pork products. That that's 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 always available. So perhaps some of the best conference food for the pork loving people that you will ever find. I remember. The one in the Hilton Financial District in San Francisco had like maybe quarter inch thick uh, pork, like bacon. What are, what are they, what's, the, what's the hipster word for bacon? It's like um, pork belly, I think. Like, like uh, yeah, it was good stuff. Well, you should definitely come because we, we've uh, lined up a lot of uh, Austin catering, um, not mm. like you know, uh, 
we've got some some you know specialty food trucks coming. Uh, you got to get me a pass, man. Come on, I'll be in town. <laughs> You're getting hungry. Um, yeah, so there's all sorts of uh, great events, uh, you know, going on with that. So yeah, I'll miss out. Well, so speaking slightly of journalism, I, I pulled one out of the mini ring. You know, Matt, Matt Ray always pulls together a lot of great links. Everyone should go check out the show notes because we only ever talk about a fourth of them. But he's, he's, a, he's a regular link roll person, regular robot wisdom of our day, if, if you remember that, that guy. But uh, there, there was, there was and, you know, a, a very typical Matt essay piece, which is a bricolage of, of, of what's going on at the moment. But it was, I, I think it raises this question. Basically, he was saying, uh, you know, tech journalists who cover open source, the result of their work is always not satisfying to uh, summarize what you're saying and, and kind of shallow. But it made me think, like, uh, like, like what, are, what do we expect from tech journalism? Like, do you guys read tech journalism very much? Do you ever, like, find yourself popping over to, like, eWeek or Information Week or InfoWorld or, uh, you know, you've got the, the search family of things, search whatever's yeah. currently popular.com, yeah. and then yeah. you got uh, tech. Yeah, I mean, you, got, you got this it's a weird yeah. constellation. I don't know the the scope, all the the actors, but I, I end up reading a lot of stuff, and then uh, inevitably you're like, kind of right, you know? Because I, I mean, I, I I don't wanna I don't wanna you know bag on journalists for not knowing the technical details because you know this stuff's complicated. Um, you know, so sometimes you know when there's articles about our stuff, you know, they get shared internally and you know poked and prodded, and um, but you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to get it right. Um, you know, I, I mean, I have, I have some sympathy for, uh, for, for the journalists. Cause you know, when you show them something new and it doesn't fit and you know, the things they already know about, you know, sometimes it gets a little tweaked. Um, yeah, we, we've gone through a bit of that with, with the habitat launch. Uh, Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, but a lot I of barely that. understand what it is. And I nominally, you know, have analyzed this industry before. Yeah, but uh, you know, but there's the the line between uh, uh, you know reporters to analysts, uh, you know, and then uh, it gets a little blurry occasionally. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, the uh, the Mad Assay article about um, tech journalism uh, believing anything in open source uh, that was. That was interesting. Um, he kind of called out, uh, Canonical made some uh, new announcements about uh, their new Snappy product. Uh -huh. And um, you know, they were insisting, well, they, they said, you know, oh, it's, you know, all the, all the other Linux distros are all on board. And then um, as, uh, Matt kind of dug into the, the quotes and, and the players, and it was like, well, Canonical wrote a lot of code for a lot of other people and tried to hand it to them. And so mm. it's it's not as a uh, you know triumphant leveling of the play. Plane. Oh, so so Canonical was saying like we've got this ecosystem, a community around it, around our snappy right. stuff. All the and all the, the distros are on board. And, and then the, the expose was was that actually Canonical had done a lot of work to hand over to the partners for them yes. to do things, which which I think in the rest of the world we would call how shit works. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, I mean, I don't know. I, I've never worked in partnering and biz dev like some people on this podcast, but it strikes me that if you want people to adopt your technology, you end up doing a lot of the work. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, it, it depends how receptive they are to what you're doing. Right? Oh, sure, sure. Yes. So, um, and, and that's, that's kind of what the article calls out is, 
That's yeah. The other distros might not run with what they were handed. But is this just a case of just you know like you know a tech developers or tech person discovers like you know known uh, universal law? Like I don't think anything about tech journalism is all that uh, different than journalism of almost any other subject. Like I think if you talk to politicians or you talk to celebrities or you talk to people in entertainment that absolutely like most of these journalists are working on tight timelines, right? They are, uh, you know, all going to, you know, they need to tell a story. They're all going to be very uh, subjected to like narrative fallacy. Someone's going to tell them this great story. Here's all the partners or just like a celebrity is going to tell this great story about they did all this charity work and they have this movie going and you know, they have 24 hours to write this thing and they have a quick hot take on it. And yeah, of course this stuff is going to be wrong, right? Or, you know, at least it's not going to be hundred percent accurate versus like then when the New York times or wall street journal or really any investigative reporter like digs into something, you know, and I think we've talked about some of these, like the Amazon article we talked about, they spend a couple months like really immersing themselves in a subject, whether that be politics, entertainment or tech, you know, you usually come back with like a very, usually an interesting article depending on how they write it, but it's a lot of uh, gray, right? Like, well, you know, it wasn't like, you know, in this case, it wasn't like the partners did everything. They actually, it was a, a bigger story and it's like a, you know, 10,000 word in a uh, piece yeah. in the Atlantic. So, I mean, yeah, of course all this stuff is kind of wrong, but it's sort of the system that, you know, unfortunately you set up. And that's why I think as like anyone in tech, like you just got to read a lot of different sources. You read yeah. on the mainstream for press and you read the blogs and then you read the competitor blogs. You listen to software defined tech where you, we bring all the late breaking analysis of what's really happening, you know, and, you know, hopefully you even get the, the name of our show, right? Uh, that's fine. Exactly, whatever, <laughs> you know, follow me on Twitter, you know, whatever. but again, like all of that together helps you at least piece together a more complete picture. If, even if that's not hundred percent correct. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I guess, I guess, I, it, and you know, it also, it also, to be further be an apologist uh, for, for tech journalists, like, there's really just not a lot of raw data around that you could do anything with, right? Like, like, I, I, every, every, most every piece I read, I always bemoan that they don't actually have, like, numbers, whether it's, like, numbers from some analysts going over market share or numbers of anything, like, there's never any numbers, like, there's, there's just sort of, like, happenstance and saying and stuff, like, you know, there was a Red Hat Summit this week. And of course, you know, uh, surprise, Red Hat doesn't like Cloud Foundry. Ooh, <laughs> shocker, right? And so, and so they're, uh, they're uh, I forget if he's a, what, what level of VP he is. I, I always say his name wrong, but Paul C, like, so I don't want to pronounce it. You know, of course, he's saying like Cloud Foundry's bullshit in, in a bunch of words, uh, which is fine. But, and I'm not even suggesting this to uh to lob rocks backwards but it would be nice if there was some sort of like numbers about adoption around all this stuff even even if all they did was pull in some revenue from red hat's latest quarterly filings anything right that just would give you some momentum beyond like just writing down anecdotes so i think yeah that's part of the game right you can't show your cards (laughs) oh yeah no no sure but but I, i i guess I guess just some quick, uh, what is it? Let LM, well, let me Google that for you. Just a little bit of Googling, like from, and I and I know because I used to do this for four five one reports, which you have more of a seventy two hour cycle. Is that three days or no? It's, yeah. it's, you have got a longer thirty six is three, whatever. You've got a longer cycle to deal with, and also get paid a lot more, so you can do better work. 
big mystery solved there. The amount of money you pay someone usually in, creates the quality of work that they do. Uh, but, you know, you can basically Google around and find something, right? Some relevant information to put in there pretty quickly. And I think, I think that's my only major complaint with tech journalism is like, they should just have some numbers in there that as a proxy for trying to validate and show adoption of stuff, right? Like, so for example, uh, you know, uh, in, in this Matt essay piece and it's his, his style is not really to do this at all. Like I said, he's, he's pretty good at like stitching together all, you know, it's, it's like a meta hot take thing that he usually does, which is fantastic. But like each of those individual pieces, they could at least pull together like canonical is this part of the market and red hat is this part of the market sizing wise. And that would have been totally perfect. It just gives you like the context to understand like how significant each of the players are in these things. Yeah, they. Uh, so, so I was listening to a a, a podcast, uh, a lecture on on uh, <clears throat> on uh, game theory, <laughs> and uh, they were saying that uh, the the lecturer was saying that uh, in game theory, strategy uh, is the enemy of game theory. You want the game to be perfectly played, so players don't have to um, do things that are uh, not. Uh, not what they exactly what they should be doing, and when you start doing marketing of your products and having to uh, compete with other players, um, you're having to strategize because you don't know the the complete landscape, and mm. you don't want to give information to your competition. Uh, right. So, so you know when it comes to uh, you know marketing and and selling software, um, you you. You don't want to share your numbers and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you definitely, cause you, you don't want to have a, le a level playing field for your competition. They don't, you know, and so uh, if, if, you know, cloud foundry and OpenShift knew, you know, exactly who had which customers and the entire landscape, well then you could, you know, both of you could come up with an optimal solution to take as much market. Right, right. No, no that, that, that's, that's, I, I agree. Like knowing, knowing the, uh, we even alluded to this earlier, knowing, knowing the real history of stuff like almost never happens. Like, no, it never happens. <laughs> as an example, we, we have to presume there's some realness to it, but even it is only driven by anecdotes. That, uh, that piece on the history of Apple trying to use ZFS is a good mm -hmm. example of not journalism, but investigative blogging. Let's call it that. It's like yeah. tonight on Frontline, ZFS. But it has, uh, it has a lot of good stuff in it. But yeah, I, mean, I, I, think, I think to, to try to uh, slightly uh, rebut, like there, there's enough information in public, especially from a public company. And then a company as boastful as Pivotal is. And then also <laughs> HP and IBM are, are public that you could get something, right? Like there's, there's something you could throw in there. And, yeah. But, but know, if it so, doesn't fit the narrative he wants to tell at Red Hat Summit? That's fair. That's fair. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, and, and there's another thing I would add. I mean, this is my, my two pieces of advice for tech journalists, right? One, the second one they can't really solve because their editors and other people are probably anti it. But one, just try to put some more numbers in there. That's all. You can look something up, whatever. And then two would be like, have you heard about hyperlinks? You should really look into hyperlinks, right? Like people who are in content have a weird relationship with hyperlinks. Like, they really don't like them. Well, and, it's and like analysts referring to other analysts. I agree, which I think is also weird. Uh, but like, like uh, I, I think if, if you would link, if journalists would link to more stuff, it would be, uh, it would be useful. Like they're always afraid. And this is what I get from content people. 
they're always afraid of people going away from the story or whatever. And, and I just like, I don't know how to explain it to them. It's like, this is what the web is. It reinforces like, your content. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and if, you have, if you have a well-written article and you cite yeah. a bunch of sources, I'll be like, that article was good because I went. And, and, and then I think, I, I think it, leads, it leads to a stickiness, which is it builds your reputation and makes you a credible source. And then you become a destination, whether you're an author or a site. And it's, I mean, not only using hyperlinks does this, but it, it feeds into that overall process. It's like, sure. this is someone that, this is someone in a news source that I think is reputable. And so I'm going to go back to them again and again, despite the fact that I might, quote unquote, leave their article halfway through. I mean, it's just like... Well, make, make the, the URL so they pop up new tabs. Oh, yeah, that's, that'd be great. That'd be great. I like you guys. I really like it. It's, it's, it's all, uh, I come back to, like, aligned interest and threshold bias. Like, no one's going to do that until somebody starts doing it and then gets really successful with it. Because it's yeah. like aligned self-interest. There's just too much uh, status quo bias to, like, like, think of the editor, like, running that. Should he be like, no way. And then he would point to, like, 8,000 sites that don't do it. And so until somebody... You know, comes out and does that and makes it a de facto standard. It's never going to happen. Yeah, uh, hyperlinks. Look into them. That's, that's all I'm. <laughs> motivation. Uh, that's what it is. Look yeah. at your motivation. Who's going to be the guy to stand away from the herd and and do it? Well, uh, I mean, Red Monk did that a bit. Um, they didn't yeah, like where they, they are now much, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm just thinking about this. And, and this 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 allows us to slip in another link, like. Redmonk can now support, this is a little false because they could always, but they can now support two analysts. It used to be they would basically support one. Analyst. They always had Tom Raftery, so maybe that, and he left, so maybe that did free up budget. They have, uh, they've got like a staff of four. So it's, uh, but it, it's, it's almost like a, a, a you know, um, a pejorative lifestyle business, right? It's like yeah, you yeah, can yeah. be big enough to support what you want to be as long as you don't want to grow. Yeah. Huh. Hyperlinks, lifestyle business. No yeah. hyperlinks, major media property. I like it. That's the way, that's the, that's the, just, the hot take. That was it. Don't take any VC and you don't, don't have any, any nobody's going to push you to. to so great. He's got a new truck. Hyperlink. He's very happy. He lives in Maine. Everybody's good. He you bought know. a truck. Did you he see? He bought a truck. A truck. Yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. is good. Everyone is good. That's what the hyperlinks get you. It gets you a stick shift in your truck. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I think to summer before we go into recommendations to summarize this this episode, rainbow chicken. Someone's got to make it happen. <laughs> I, I can only hope. I, you know, can only hope. you've got to align motivation, willingness to work twenty four seven, build up this thing, and then rainbow chicken. It'll be awesome. It'll be perfect. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that said, recommendations this week. What? How about you go first, Brandon? Gentlemen, have a good one this week. Uh, sometimes in life, a book is like literally written personally for you. And I discovered this such a book uh, this week. It's called Chaos Monkeys. It is written uh, by a guy that uh, worked at Facebook, started a company. And uh, the description, for once, the jacket actually describes this book perfectly. It's uh, like a Michael Lewis style look inside Silicon Valley, Facebook, and Y Combinator. Mm. And uh, I started a company, ended up selling it to Twitter and to Facebook. If you're going to read, you'll understand what that is. And he became a product manager and he kind of takes you inside uh, what uh, it's like to work in Facebook and more importantly, what it's like to work in tech in general. So this, it, you know, again, 
we haven't mentioned it this whole episode. So it's sort of like uh, a great story of the halo effect actually happening, right? And this guy makes a very right. no old bar. It gives you a great, crazy um, explanation of like how Facebook kind of went from how it's going to make money to um, you know, discovering that process and all the crazy things that happen. So anyone that's like, man, I, you know, I wish like, my company feels kind of crazy and like, I don't know if it, we're always doing stuff right. And, you know, you read all the, again, back to our tech journalism, you read all the narrative fallacies from uh, all of our tech journalists out there. And you're like, I really wish someone would kind of explain what really goes on. This is a great look. And there's lots of uh, crazy, funny fight stories, some sex, um, a bunch of, learned a little bit about ads and privacy, which just sounds boring, but it's actually kind of interesting. And you really wonder like what Facebook does with all your stuff. So highly recommend it. I enjoyed it. It's a good summer read uh, for the, those people in tech and even somebody that's not in tech just wants to know what's happening. So enjoy. Now, now do, you, do you recommend listening to it or reading it? Well, I listen to everything. Anytime I say yeah. really read a book, I... Do you I read on one X or do you, do, you, uh, do you read on multiple? Two X. Double speed on the, uh, the Audible. Uh, I have personally found that like in this one case, when you double speed something, earbuds are better than actually like, letting it play out loud. Like, oh, somehow the, the mind, at least my mind... Now, now, now let's, let's delve into this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Are you only an Audible subscriber or do you do the buy the book, add the Audible option? No, I just do Audible. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just, uh, although I think I have, no, I've never done it. I don't think I've ever bought the book. Well, I, I've been doing that thing recently. Like I discovered this is, this is a, a recommendation stealing some of Brandon's recommendation time. I've been reading that, uh, that, that King killer Chronicle thing, like the name of the wind. Did I mention this yet? The name of the wind and the wise man's fear. Uh, and, uh, I bought the audio. They're like 800,000 page books and I got the audio and the text version. And it's kind of fun in the Kindle app to bounce between the two of them. Because it will. It'll, it'll sync, right? It keeps you synced. Oh, yeah. It's oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, I've seen that. Because, because sometimes reading is nicer, right? Like, like when, I'm, uh, when I'm going to bed, I like actually want to read a book, not like listen to a book. But then if I'm like walking around doing the dishes, I can listen to it. So it's, uh, it's nice. I find that works really well. It's, it's, uh, that's my, my secret recommendation. Yeah, it's cool. I will say one thing Audible's done, I guess, again, just, you know, every podcast is sponsored by Audible, even if it isn't, you know, uh, like, like, this, ours. Like, like ours. <laughs> I just say Audible does do, um, they've introduced some stuff, like they have interviews now, with, like the authors, so you get kind of little audio excerpts. Ah, that's interesting. And you get some, um, they're not podcasts, I don't know what they call them. They call them like short kind of like audio content that's not a book, but that they kind of do, which is kind of cool. So, I mean, if, you know, if you're, if you've run out of things to listen to, you've listened to every 67 of our episodes, you know, then go get Audible. <laughs> so so, so uh, take note, stamps.com, we don't want your money. Audible. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We've already done an anti-stamps.com commercial. And we'll do it again. Just go to the post office. One, buy a scanner. If that doesn't work, just go to the post office or the grocery store and just buy the stamps that you need. Oh, the grocery that. store. That's simple, you know, guys. I, I think stamps I think, are available everywhere. Never do you need stamps.com. I think I think we should we should pursue a sponsorship with HEB and basically be like HEB. Do you like eating to stay alive? Yes. Boom. Buy groceries and ask for the stamps on the way out. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah. I think I think my ad for stamps.com would be like, "Do you hate going to the post office? Stop sending mail." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to report back on my uh, my international mail forwarding. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so what, what are your, what, what's your recommendation for this week, Matt Ray? Uh, so um, I, there's a new uh, Boston Dynamics video. Those are always fun to watch of uh, robots falling over. Hopefully you've seen it by now. Um, you've got, got lots of lots of nailed it in there, I bet, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the last one, they had the guys kicking over the robot. Now the robot has this uh, weird like uh, prehensile head grabber thing. And uh, they <laughs> oh, should, no. It's, it's good yeah, you got to watch it. But then uh, it's like running around and, and <laughs> they threw a bunch of banana peels out. It's like uh, good stuff. Uh, so, so watch that just because, you know, eventually those robots will be our masters and we'll all look back kindly at the, the good times we had laughing at them. Um, but uh, speaking of the inevitable, that's uh, my, my other recommendation is uh, Kevin Kelly, uh, the founding uh, editor of Wired Magazine has a new book out uh, called The Inevitable, where he talks about 12 things that uh, are going to happen. And um, just got it. I haven't read too far into it, but I've listened to a couple of interviews with him. And, and you know, he's not telling you which companies are going to win and lose, but he's telling you, you know, these things are coming. And, you know, it's like if I told you 15 years ago that you would always know where you are because you have a GPS mm. what sort of things. Does that change? You know, like yesterday, uh, yesterday, uh, someone offered to buy me a map of Australia and I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, the last thing I need is a paper map. Well, uh, what I understand from Dr. Nick is their internet speeds are really slow. So maybe you actually do need a map. Maybe they're operating on some one G action over there. Uh, that, that, that's for a future episode to, to lament about the internet speeds. But one of the things you can do is download, um, you can cache, uh, your, your map of where. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I, I use that a lot. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Google, uh, Google maps and navigation will, will reuse the, the map and not redownload everything. And you can make a pretty big area of a, of a map. So I was able, when I was there, you know, uh, Last time I downloaded the entire Sydney uh, area, so you know. Oh yeah, it was already cached cached on the on your. Uh, phone. You know this this reminds me of a strange occurrence that happened this week. Now I use the AT and T, and uh, they're sort of like not very sane when it comes to international travel. You can buy this little data pack of like three hundred megs. Silver like, plan. Yeah, I, I think your first hint should be like if you're measuring things in megs, just over again, right? Like let's just figure this out. But so I, I bought the little pack while I was in Poland and you've got to do that stupid thing where you've got like got to go to every single app when you land in London and turn off the cellular data, right? I could complain about that for, but, but then they sent me this inexplicable text message earlier this week that said, because I was such a good customer, I would now have unlimited data and 10 cent a minute phone calls when in Mexico. Now, I don't mean any of this to, to slight Mexico because that actually is kind of, you know, Mexico's great. We love them, uh, at least people on my intellectual side of history. Uh, but it, just like Mexico? Like what? This is just so random. Like I, I don't want a, a gift text in the mouth, so to speak, but like it is sort of like, what? It's just sort of weird. And, and like I don't really understand what AT&T's deal is. Like they need to be like T-Mobile and just have cool data stuff. I, it, Something is just uh, not functioning well. But I can make calls. I can download unlimited things in Mexico now. So uh, I got that going for me. <laughs> I'll, I'll report back on Australia. 
So yeah. So uh, my recommendation this week is uh, I when I was up in Chicago uh, at, at the lovely Palmer House speaking at an EPA conference. They 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 gave a great keynote. Their uh, their CIO talking about how they want to do uh, you know agile and, and lean and all of that stuff. Good for them. Uh, and and I wanted to get a quick snack, and I went into Freshies, a little salad bar they had in the hotel, and they had these things called Ostrom beef sticks. Now I don't know about you, may, I bet Brandon's investigated this, but you look at the beef jerky beef stick market, and it's basically like first ingredient meat, second ingredient sugar, and you're like, thanks a fucking lot, right? Like basically, this is just a sugar delivery device. More, and more, more so, sugar than salt. Well, I, you know, it's just like it has sugar in it. Like, I don't understand why you have to put sugar. People just put sugar in everything. It's just annoying. And, uh, but so, I, so I'm always on the hunt it, for it like... It tastes really good. Sugar tastes really good. Keep going. I know. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, know, I know why. And this is like, you know, anyways. But stop. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, but this one, as far as I could tell, has no sugar in it. Like it, and it has elk and beef and ostrich. Like if you... Go look on Amazon. They've got all sorts, but there's no sugar. There's, of course, like some vegetable stuff. So there might actually be some secret sugar in there, but it ostensibly doesn't. So it seems like a uh, a good solution for your. Was it good? I mean, did you like it? Yeah, yeah. It had it had that same weird taste that all beef sticks have. Like straight up beef jerky is fine, but like any sort of like processed beef snack always tastes a little weird. But mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it, and it was it was thick and it was satisfying. So to speak. Do we have to order it online, or can you? Can we? Can we hit the HEB? I I've only, I haven't I don't know I've I haven't scoped out HEB. Hopefully, our soon to be sponsor. Uh, uh-huh. But but like you can order it online, and I'd only ever seen it this once. So uh, I would check out the online stuff. They got the full suite of it in Amazon. All right, All right. I'm in. All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening. This has been Software Defined Talk which you can find at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And if you want to see the extensive show notes, including lots of wonderful stories that Matt Ray put together for us uh, that, that we did not talk about, you can go to cote.io slash SDT67. And it's always nice if you have any feedback, feedback to give us or buck in, uh, in Twitter. We've been getting a lot of great little things from Twitter, which, which encourages us. Until we sign up that big HEB sponsorship deal, I think we're just going to coast off of the ego fueling that, that you give to us. And it's always helpful if you give us a review or something in iTunes, because when we sit down with the meeting down in San Antonio with the HEB people, we're going to need to show them that we've got at least 10 reviews. Say one. <laughs> And then you after know, that, if, if we get to twenty reviews, all the way down. If we get to twenty reviews, they'll come to Austin. Oh, <laughs> bring it, man! Yeah, you know we'll go over the the Central Market uh, hickory smoked uh, ham cut mm. on sliced on one little like Colby it. Jack. All sorts of great HEB products. <laughs> <laughs> you were gesturing, Matt Ray, like you had some searing insight. So I was no, just waiting. No, you know, I, I got nothing. All right. Well, with that, we'll see everyone next time.